The Arwen Lewis Show is brought to you by OMAD Records. Find out more at omadrecords.com. As part of the Jeremiah Show, it's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. Hello, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. I am under the Jeremiah Show platform, and today uh, my very special guest is Jake DiNicola. Uh, Jake DiNicola is a New York City-based director of photography and producer. Along with his interest in visual anthropology, comes his deeply passionate and active engagement in filmmaking. Born and raised in Greenwich Village, Jake's work spans from documentary film, music video, short narrative, commercial fashion, and shooting live stream music concerts for Pitchfork TV. And this bridges his two passions of music and film together. His own work has appeared in film festivals like the Catskill Mountain Film Festival, the Glendale International Film Festival, Greenwich Village Film Festival, and the Coney Island Film Festival. Jake has also DP'd for directors Chris Dapkins and Academy Award-nominated documentarian Christine Choi. Jake is currently in post-production for his short film, Eight Deer, in which he documents a college student returning to his indigenous community in Oaxaca, Mexico, for the first time in eight years. Jake is also a musician with his primary instrument as drum. We are playing tracks today on the show that feature him as a drummer from his band Phobia, and also a track from Peter Lewis's record Road to Zion and my debut album, Arwen. And those are all produced by John DiNicola and released on OMAD Records from New York City. So Jake, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, well, I thought we could start just by talking about your film career. Mm-hmm. Um, so what inspired um, your inspiration to pursue film and why did you choose the aspects of photography and production to focus on for your professional career? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think there's a part of me that always kind of, you know, I really appreciated good cinema and I really... Um, you know, I, I, I've always, always watching, I was always shown like really good movies by my parents and grew up around it. And I kind of, in the back of my mind, it was always something that I was interested in, but I didn't really like become serious about it until I was in college. Um, and it's kind of ironic because the college I went to didn't have a film program, but, um, I was around a great community of people, um, like some of the people you mentioned in the bio, Chris Dapkins and, uh, Carlo Mirabella Davis. <clears throat> um, and they were like, uh, there were people that I grew up with and they were starting to sort of make a name for themselves in film. Um, so I started to just PA for them sort of on weekends in college and summer breaks and winter breaks. And you know, like once you do that and once you work on enough sets, like you're bit by the film bug, like you just really, you know, you just have to keep doing it. It's like similar to what people feel like in theater and probably what you feel like when you're on the road, like, you know, going to shows and playing yeah. shows. Um, so yeah, I think it was just being in that community really like made me, you know, want to pursue it more. And then, you know, once I graduated, it was like all in sort of. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you have a really unique thing with the anthropology thing too, because you, you have a degree in cultural anthropology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell us about the visual anthropology aspect and like how you apply that to your film. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably... Um, the best thing that I could have uh, um, uh, majored in in college, um, because it really like um, sort of 
you can kind of use a lot from anthropology to approach, especially document documentary work, because it's, you know, understanding people sort of on their level and, you know, the idea of like cultural relativity, which is, you know, basically what I just said, you know, kind of coming to people on their own terms. And even if it's something you don't like agree with, just understanding that there is a perspective to that. Yeah. So I think that and along with sort of, you know, sort of the visual approach to that where you know, you, um, you shoot, you know, everything that seems important to people, even if it's not something that maybe would be important to you. Um, so I think in that way, like visual anthropology kind of created this like moral and ethical and also, um, like spiritual guideline to like how to approach film. And it's a different perspective probably than people got if they went to film school. Um, and that sort of led to the short documentary that I've been making for a long time about a friend of mine who I went to college with at Skidmore College, um, who uh, came from this indigenous community in Oaxaca, Mexico, called um, Triqui Community. And uh, he came to America when he was was eight years old, and uh, he left and um, couldn't return home just because he couldn't, couldn't afford to go back. So he didn't see his parents his brothers and sisters for 12 years and we like document me and my professor from anthropology um, got to know him really well and we paid for his ticket to go home and like visit his family and we like documented the whole process so you know that professor that taught me visual anthropology um really kind of got me into my you know the first project that i really cared about so in that way you know anthropology definitely shaped who i was as a filmmaker because it really you know, started my first project too. And I, it's really beautiful that you were able to do that. And first of all, like help him go home. And then also like making this documentary, I'm sure is like bringing awareness to, you know, the realities of what somebody's life like that is, you know, and also I apologize in the introduction for completely butchering. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Nobody knows how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> now I do. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think in, that's really important. I think that's a really cool thing about documentary film too. And like you said, it's, it's not everybody can remove themselves, um, you know, from their opinions when they're making a film and be objective. And I think that's a really special skill that you have. Um, and also, like, do you apply that to your work on music videos? Like, and I know you directed, shot, and edited um, the music video for your dad, uh, Johnny Nicola, for his song, She Said. Um, what about that? What was your process like uh, working on that video? What was you know, what was your perspective for that? And um, yeah, just tell us about making that video. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there could be some subconscious like connection from what I've learned in anthropology to that, but that's a good question. I I don't know. But I do think that um, one thing about that video that was very special um, was um, there's like a thing that uh, I think Fellini used to use um, where sort of, you know, a lot of people use uh, story, you know, they go with the story first, they write the story first, and then they kind of create the visuals around that story. And like Bellini used to come up, conjure images and, you know, would kind of come up with these images that he would see in like dreams or would just think up and then he would create the story around those images. Okay. But that's sort of how we approached me and my production partner, um, Hill Stedman. Um, we sort of approached that uh, music video because you know music videos are so much more visual than they are real like stories um a lot of the time sometimes they can be stories but we uh we kind of conjured these visuals that um we you know just had seen either in dreams or had been thinking about or you know the music made us feel and then we sort of wrote in between those images like how they would kind of connect to each other so it was almost like the visuals came first and then the sort of storyline bridge came after and an interesting process yeah i think it what was i liked about the video was um i think it was kind of interpretive like there wasn't a real clear storyline but you know there were themes that were there and like sort of conceptual themes um which i prefer to see in music videos like i think if there's like too much of like a storyline sometimes it can be lost a little bit or it can feel contrived or something but um, so we were kind of trying to take the step and trying something that, you know, we really want to start to do more, whereas, you know, really conceptualize something and have these themes and strong visuals, but not make it too obvious to like, you know, understand right off the bat. Well, and I think that's like a really 
cool thing to do with music too because music is like that i feel like everybody hears a song and like interprets it a certain way sometimes you don't even hear the right words um or the, the words that what what the words actually are you hear something else and so like i think it's really cool to leave the listener and the observer up to interpretation for that so they can relate to it in their own way <clears throat> that makes it kind of more universal i guess um and she said that the music video was featured in the coney island uh film festival can you tell us a little bit about the festival and the film's place in that or the video's place in it yeah oh my god i really loved that festival um we've been to a couple festivals for the she said music video but coney island like really stood out because it was just like you know it felt first of all being a new yorker like you kind of yearn for um something that feels like old new york <laughs> i'm always looking for like old restaurants and that kind of thing that still exists and it really had that feel of like wow i feel like you know it's in the coney island museum by the way oh cool okay. there's all these cool like old ride parts and like stuff like that so you feel like you're like in you know 1940s 50s coney island so that the ambience just was nice yeah and and the community was great it was like a lot of really interesting filmmakers um in the and we were in the music video and an experimental section um and yeah it was just like a really good community of people um we met a few people that we want to you know work with um and yeah it was just a great display of different things and to be able to like anytime we get a chance to go out to coney island is just kind of a fun time because typically you know it's very far from a lot of places so it's like good to have like a specific thing to go to and like you know we went there and then we went to Gardrilio's, which is like an old school italian place after we left and so it was just like the experience of going out to coney island along with the community there was just like perfect yeah um well that sounds very fun like <laughs> good way to set the vibe mm -hmm. um but so you were saying you were the music video was in the experimental music part of it so what other categories are there in that festival um, yeah, I think there's, so there's definitely a short film narrative, um, category. There's a documentary section. Um, there's, I don't think there's anything TV related, but there's definitely like short film narrative, feature length narrative, uh, documentary. And I don't know if there's any others besides that. There might be like a comedy section as well, or like a New York centric section as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, well, how does how does um, how does like the Catskill Mountain Film Festival, the Glendale International Film Festival, and Branch Village Festival are those all similar, or are they all different types of festivals? Yeah, I mean they're all similar in the sense that like a lot of the sections are, um, you know, like you you kind of go to the same, um, you know, that there's sort of you know sections for short film narrative, and like you go to that, and that's kind of its own showing, and then you kind of go to the next one. Okay. um but they're all very different in you know aesthetics and like communities and um you know the greenwich village one was kind of special because there was a lot of people there that i like grew up knowing and some of the people who started it are like very close family friends of mine and like you know that felt, almost felt like i was like you know with family or like you know it felt like very much at home yeah um and i, I didn't have the pleasure of going to the glendale one but oh, yeah. i heard that it's it's a pretty good festival so Oh, what was... Oh, and Catskill, sorry, Catskill oh, Mountain Catskill. was great. Um, it was started by Jessica Vecchione, um, who's actually was the, funny enough, she operated the drone shots on the She Said music video. Oh, cool. Um, she's like a local filmmaker up in the Catskills, and we shot that in the Catskills. Um, and unfortunately, the festival, I think, um, was halted, but I'm praying that she brings it back or somebody brings it back. It's like a necessary thing for that area of the Catskills, I think, and I loved going to it, so... Yeah, and that's like a, it's a unique area to have a gathering like that. It's all about the vibe, I feel like. I mean, totally. Um, and then, but what I also wanted to ask was this was the She Said video in all those festivals, or did you have different projects for each one? Yeah, those were different projects. Um, the She Said video was, um, it was in, it was, it made a huge festival around. I wish I can remember all the places that um, got in, but um, the uh, Greenwich Village Film Festival had a, a couple projects that I made. Um, it screened, actually uh two documentaries um that i made with um a man named karan chowdhury who's an actor um and one of them was about his uh he's an immigrant from india and um the first documentary that was in the greenwich village film festival was sort of his story of um trying to get a visa and work as like an actor in new york city okay. um so 
uh, she said, I wish I could remember all the different festivals that actually one of them that I went to recently was um, in the Chinese theater in downtown LA. It's called Silicon Beach Film Festival, um, which was also another a pleasure to have something being screened in such like a historic and beautiful theater. So (laughs) that's got to be cool seeing your, your, your work up there on the big screen for sure. Yeah. That's always really nice. Uh, Especially something we shot it on film. So it's nice to see like a film project blown up on screen. It would be even cooler if they actually projected it on film, but they didn't. (laughs) Oh, well, you can make it happen somewhere. I I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Any takers? (laughs) Yeah. Um, what about like music videos? Are there any other music videos you've worked on that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, it's <clears throat> a good question. Um, I've worked on quite a lot at this point. Um, I think, uh, one music video, um, that, uh, I'm trying to think now. I, I worked on this music video, um, actually here and I'm wearing her shirt right now because she's a musician from LA. Um, and, uh ryan who's in the room right here uh taking some video of me um <laughs> he uh worked on it as well um uh she's really great musician um and the music video was called touching okay. and we shot it all in uh her mom was moving into uh, a new home um in hollywood and uh we shot the whole thing in that sort of unrenovated like giant like, house that it was um so we had like a bunch of different like beautiful setups in this house. And it was just like a really perfect day of like collaborating with people that I really like. Um, and just getting like something that we really felt good about and, you know, not have the stress of it being like the location that, you know, we have to be out of at a certain time and all these like sort of time and money stresses. It was like one of those things that was similar to the, she said video where, you know, there weren't so many constraints and we could have just really spent like a whole day, really taking time on lighting it and um you know working on props and all of that and thinking about things rather than just kind of rushing through everything it sounds a lot like the way your dad works like as a producer mm-hmm. you, you feel like you must have a lot of that probably from working with him and just naturally absolutely and, and obviously you've developed that on your own too but that's what it's like working with your dad as a producer he's like just lets things completely unfold naturally and i think that's when you i agree with you that's when you get the best art and like john cleese was on jeremiah's show <clears throat> a few weeks ago and cool. he was saying like for the best way to be creative was like you just you can't force it you know and he'd say like okay well the people just go and like you know, if the actors are feeling stressed or can't perform properly, they take a break and play cards, right? And let your brain kind of like relax and unfold. And then you come back to it with a fresh start. And, you know, I, I, I just think that like creativity can't be forced. I think you have to like kind of allow it to flow and got the right setting for it. And it's going to. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But I guess so that, once you get into the big time, I guess you learn how to move fast. Or time <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of time, uh, we're going to go out to break pretty soon here. Um, everybody, if you're just tuning in, um, this is Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Show. And my very special guest is a New York City-based director of photography and producer for film, Jake DiNicola. Jake's also a musician. Um, you can find out more about Jake on IMDB under Jake DiNicola. Look him up on Facebook under Jake DiNicola. Uh, you can find him his band on Instagram, Phobia at Fovia Band, that's F-O-V-E-A-B-A-N-D. You can find their music at omadrecords.com, and you can also find uh, Jake's production company on Instagram, at Animal Works. And uh, we're talking about Jake's uh, career in film, and we're also playing some of his music that he's worked on. Um, So we're going to go out to break with the track that he played drums on called Only a Fool by Peter Lewis, and that was produced by uh, John DiNicola, and that track is off Peter Lewis's record, The Road to Zion, on OMAD Records. And then we're going to bring you back with Jake's band, Phobia, and that song is called 7-4. Jake also played drums on that track, so please enjoy the music, and we'll get back in just a second. About fortune and fame The rich only dream About staying the same No matter who is the first to fall 
This is Robert LaRoche coming to you from Austin, Texas. I've got a brand new CD out called Forevermore on OMAD Records out of New York City. And you are listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. Ciao. everybody this is arwen lewis and you're listening to the arwen lewis radio show my very special guest is filmmaker director of photography uh, film producer and musician as a drummer jake di nicola uh, you just heard his band fovia uh, their song seven four jake played drums on that and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his music career later um, but we're still talking about film and jake's actually been um able to bring together both his passion for film and music um and you filmed music videos like we were talking about in the segment before jake um but also you've had some experience shooting live concerts and live streaming for pitchfork tv um are there any particular concerts that you shot that you want to talk about yeah sure um i mean it's crazy because i've shot so many at this point that like i start to like they like a lot of them like blend together yeah <laughs> but um god yeah i've shot some i mean beyond shooting just some really like legendary people um one of my favorites was this um shoot we did for the band Krangbin okay. um and they're uh sort of i guess um like jammy sort of psychedelic mostly instrumental uh, rock musicians they're awesome um and that one was really cool you know the music was incredible but we also had this um uh this uh projectionist um they're called drippy eye pro- projections um okay they the um they had been around since like the 60s doing like pink floyd shows like late 60s early 70s um doing pink floyd shows um grateful dad shows and wh- what they do is um they have all these analog um instruments that uh they can sort of create these like almost like chemical reactions on cool and then they project them off like a classic projector screen to the back of like a projector sheet and so then the other side of it you're just seeing the actual like projection you're not seeing all of them doing like their work on the other yeah. side 
So we put that behind the band. And as we were shooting this concert, they like him and his team were behind the projection sheet, just like doing all these like experiments. And, you know, they had like these little like fans that would like, like, you know, flip over hydrogen peroxide with like food dye and like create these beautiful, like massive images on what a behind trip. the band. And it was all live, you know, and yeah. like analog, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a really cool thing because it's um, the guy works with his son who's sort of taking over the business. And his son is now like, you know, doing this at, you know, modern, you know, concerts now and, you know, up and coming musicians and new musicians. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's like cool that, you know, he's sort of passing this on to his son and, you know, his son is interested in it and taking this sort of family business. Yeah. And that's I mean, that must have been. A, did you film that process too is, yeah is we, that available anywhere or? yeah yeah it's on youtube um it's just uh go to like um just search really it's probably one of their biggest like live videos it's just Krangbin pitchfork tv okay um you'll it'll definitely come up um it's got a bunch of views and we uh i'm not sure if they used so much of the like behind the scenes footage of it but i was you know half of it at the time i was back there like shooting some of that stuff whenever we had a chance because it was just fascinating to me yeah i've never but, heard of that but that sounds amazing and like i mean an analog is such a it's like a fad now too like mm -hmm. it's, it's more it's i mean it was so cool you know when it originated and everything but now like i mean we feel like it's so much cooler because it was like it's, it was almost out of touch like a fantasy type of thing yeah. and now that it's like come back into like the reality of the music business and i didn't realize that you were able to you know create things like it's like or it's like is that like have anything to do with exposure like with film is that yeah. how okay i was just gonna process? say okay yeah it's totally like you know there's just these wonderful like surprises that you get when you work with analog equipment um because you can't predict it as well as like some you know digital equipment mm -hmm. um so you know like even from film grain that you have when you're shooting on 16 millimeter or little artifacts that you find in the film that are because like a little bit of dust hit the you know gate or something like that. Like that just to me is like, I'm really drawn to that because it just feels so much more real and, you know, feels unpredictable, which is, you know, what life is like. So it's so much closer to making people feel like they're seeing something that's real. Totally. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's the same thing with analog equipment and music. And, you know, like you can't get, even though you can get great plugins, digital plugins that sound really good, like there's that sort of, um, you know, uncertain factor of analog in every degree that, you know, creates beautiful surprises um, and just thing, you know, makes it sort of there's like an intangible effect of it you know so i don't know yeah no and it's like you're there in that moment and that's what you get and it's mm -hmm. like it's i mean as long as you're as a musician or as a filmmaker or whatever like it's like if you know what you're doing with the tools you know like to a certain extent then it's going to be cool whether or not it's quote unquote perfect yeah and i totally prefer something that's more raw and real rather than you know like that and honestly i think everybody else does too because they make filters <laughs> to, you right. know for film or photography or like the digital plugins like to mimic all of that you know just for convenience sake which i think is cool totally. um, and it's i think it's really cool to watch technology evolve but yeah i'm right there with you i think yeah. analog everything is much cooler um uh, I kind of, yeah, and so I kind of wanted to start going into talking about music, too, since we're on the subject. Um, when did you start to learn about playing music, and what inspired you to start playing, and were drums your first instrument? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I started playing drums probably when I was, like, nine years old, okay. um, and um, I, my, you know, it's just very much, like, my dad really wanted me to experiment with music, because, you know, he's a musician, and he knows, you know, it's important to him, and he knows how, you know, useful it can be for yeah. people in so many different ways yeah um and um yeah i think i chose drums because it was the only instrument my dad didn't play yeah <laughs> which in retrospect is a great call because you know then there's no <laughs> sort of like you know like i, I mean also it's, it's nice because i can play with him um yeah so you know like if he needs a drum track for stuff he just hits me up and i just come upstate to his studio and start playing um so yeah i think it was you know a whole bunch of different factors and you know you kind of i think my dad just kind of let me choose what i felt comfortable with and banging on school desks was that so yeah uh, <laughs> yeah 
Well, cool. Um, and I mean, what what would you say your style is like jazz experimental or do you have a genre that you prefer to play? Do you like playing rock music or what do you what do you like the most? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I am. I love everything. Love listening to everything. Um, I was started out with uh, learning jazz drums because my drum teacher uh, was a jazz uh, drummer, um, among other things. But, you know, I kind of was taught jazz sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of quickly moved away from that and started playing rock um, with my friends. Um, and that's like kind of where my like heart was, but still like I listen to jazz all the time and I go to jazz shows and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I was ever, I, I don't know if I have the like real chops to be a jazz musician because that's just like a different level of like master expertise, you know, um, I kind of prefer just like you know, going and playing something with somebody and kind of just falling into it. Um, which I guess you could do if you're like a master jazz musician, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I, it was always it, the jazz world was a little too intense for me to go down that path. So I never did, but when I think once you develop like that much, it's harder to play simpler music, you know, like, or like, you know, I know, you know, that my favorite band is the white stripes. Everybody knows that, yeah. <laughs> knows me. but, um, you know, like what she, the way she played, I remember I've heard, I don't know if it was Dave Grohl or somebody in an interview talking to her, like I could never play that way because I was just trained to play, you know, quote unquote correctly. Sure. But like, and I'm not comparing you, like you're more sophisticated than the way Mick White plays, but like her approach was like, it was just very natural. And I feel like, like she almost used white noise intuitively. Um, which I think is really cool. And I, it makes for something different and less commercial. And like, you also kind of have like a Neil Young crazy horse type of vibe too. Like, cause uh, we played only a fool that you played on. Um, and then also the track that you did for, I am not willing for my dad's song with uh, on your dad's cover of it. It's super cool. And like, um, and then we're also going to hear some different uh, approaches too on the phobia stuff, which we've already heard. Um, and we're not, quite ready to go out to break but we are going to take them out with the song received um do you want to talk about that because i think you've got some cool stories yeah, yeah yeah so um that one was really fun and i kind of chose it because um uh well so the, the song started um um the, the singer and uh guitar player slash keyboard player in our band max weigel um came up with the sort of piano uh line that you kind of hear throughout the entire song um and starts out with that piano line and uh, you know, kind of was like having this sort of D'Angelo feel at first. Um, and it was like more soulful R and B. Um, and, uh, we added in, um, uh, sort of a, a couple like keyboard effects and then it kind of became this almost like, like transient, uh, or like ambient rather like jazz track. Um, mm-hmm. and it kind of slowed down and became a little more relaxed and a friend, Caroline Heider also played saxophone on it, um, which added that she just soloed kind of over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, what really took it into like um, a different world uh, was we gathered dreams from a bunch of our friends uh, that they had had, and then they just recited the dreams, and we cut up sort of certain parts of those dreams mm-hmm. and stitched them like uh, along with the other people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and one of those people is your dad, Peter Lewis, yeah. and I thought it was a really um, emotional um, dream that he's talking about because he's talking about his late, late friend Sam Andrew um, from Big Brother um, and uh, yeah I just thought that you know it you know he just really tugged on some heartstrings with that one and it felt like really just in the right place in that song so yeah what a cool idea too um, yeah. I guess well I guess that did just take us out to break right okay so um, I'm not great with my keeping track of time but uh everybody if you're just uh tuning in or if you just tuned in in this segment um you're listening to jake d nicola on the arwin lewis show uh jake d nicola is a new york city based director of photography filmmaker and producer and a musician and we're playing tracks from his song or excuse me from his band phobia and he was just telling you about this amazing cool dreamy track called received that we're going to take you out to break with and then we're going to bring you back in with their song Neen. And uh, you can find out more about Jake. Look him up on IMDb under Jake DiNicola. Uh, on Facebook, Jake DiNicola. Instagram, you can look up his band, Fovia, at Fovia Band. And also look up his production company on Instagram, at Animal Works. And also you can find his music on omadbrackers.com. And we'll be right back. 
dreamt I woke up in an inn. And I was wandering through the rooms on the top floor, moving from east to west. And I walked through several rooms and all of the doors were open. And I passed by a history class. This is Jake DiNicola. I'm the co-founder of the production company Animal Works, and I'm the drummer and percussionist in Fovia, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. Hey, this is John DiNicola, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest today is Jake DiNicola. He is a filmmaker, um, film producer, director of photography, musician, and um, he's part of a band called Fovia. And you just heard their song, Neen, off of their album, uh, Pencil Me In. And Pencil Me In was released on OMAD Records and produced by John DiNicola. And um, Jake, I thought you could tell us a little bit about Pencil Me In. Uh, Where did you get the name for the album? How did Fovia come together in the first place? And how about the name for the band, too? Yeah, um, we'll start with the name for the band. Um, uh, Well, okay, actually, we could start with uh, Fovia, where, you know, we all met. We all met at Skidmore College. um, And we actually didn't really play that much um, in college. But um, about I think our senior year, we started just kind of jamming together. It was this thing called the band trailer at Skidmore, and it was just like a trailer set up with a crappy drum set um, <laughs> and um, and uh, a couple of amps that were pretty broken. And we just would go there and play whenever we wanted. You can kind of like reserve the space, and we kind of decided, oh, like we might want to, you know, start writing music because we like playing together. And uh, I hadn't really been a band uh, since high school at that point, um, so yeah, we just really like in very well together and at that point um uh, it was uh, hallie furlong mitchell who did vocals max weigel who did guitar um keys and vocals and steve shaw who was a bassist um okay. so 
yeah, we were four piece at that point. Um, and we just started playing like at the smaller venues on campus. And we really started like our you know main push after we graduated. Okay. Um, and then we were just playing around New York City a bunch and sort of the Northeast area and whatnot. Um, so that's how we came to be. And Fovia, the name um, was honestly, we were just, we kind of just were throwing out like random, you know, names and ideas and things that sounded good. And I think uh, Max, um, at the time and this was in this was still in college um he was taking some sort of uh anatomy course and fovea is the uh part of your eye that converts like cones and rods to like actual vision oh, okay or something like that interesting um so we just like the term and it was like kind of like a you know trippy uh <laughs> yeah image anyways so we were like all right let's let's it looks good on paper too so let's do it <laughs> well oh my god i for a while i was saying forever yeah. And then I was, I don't know, that's me, you know, mispronouncing yeah. things and our group chat is called Foever and uh in our Facebook Messenger. So that's cool. <laughs> you were onto something, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yes, it will, you know, it makes it, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Trick on the eye. But so pencil me in, the, yeah. the album cover has the eyeball, right? Yeah. Okay. Can yeah. we who did the album art for that? Um uh oh my god, I'm forgetting his last name. Uh Nicholas, you can look it up in our band camp. Um okay. He was actually a high schooler in Philadelphia um, who was doing all these like album art for a bunch of different um, uh, local bands there. Um, and uh, I think we just saw uh, a band that we really liked and we saw the album cover and they're like, yeah, it's this high school kid. Like, he's awesome. So we just uh, messaged him on Facebook and yeah. <laughs> he did it for us. And, you know, he did it in crayon and we like we just loved it. Um, but uh, the the album name Pencil Me In um it sort of came from again it's slightly randomized in the sense that we were putting together phrases that we liked but the, the i think the deeper meaning like the way i interpret it is a lot of the album deals with like themes and concepts of like disconnection mm -hmm. um and i think that pencil me in is such like a disconnected phrase it's just like so like you know not spiritual not emotional not like you know, it's just very like, um, cold, cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of what we were going for with that, um, to sort of suggest that, you know, the album had these sort of themes, um, locally, uh, more than anything. I mean, I'm sorry, lyrically more than anything. Cool. Um, well, and I mean, I want to keep talking about that, but we're running out of time. So I wanted to ask too, like, who are some of your greatest musical influences? Yeah. Um, I mean, really a, a lot of stuff are, are all across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my dad obviously really influenced me, um, growing up with like the album, you know, Moby Grape mm -hmm. was a huge one up there. We listened to Moby Grape all the time and that really like cerebrally <laughs> influenced me. Yeah. Um, as well as the Herbie Hancock album Thrust, um, cool. was like something that was always on, uh, growing up that I really remember. Um, but some of the bands that I find, you know, sort of on my own too, more recently, um, I find Alex G to be like one of my favorite and most inspirational musicians um, and songwriters uh, just in the way that he really um, it's all of his albums and all of his sounds are so like vary so much from track to track. And there's like his voice is still always there, but instrumentally and song wise, it, there's like some things that sound like, you know, hardcore punk and then some things that sound like country, some things that sound like classic indie rock. And uh, just the ability to be able to, you know, have your your voice be like prevalent through all of that, but have all these different sounds at play is yeah. like really inspiring. And I think that's something that we really tried to do in Fovia, at least, is like not be kind of pinned down to one sound, but still have like a voice that carries through all of it. Yeah. And like you you can really hear that in all these tracks, too. Um, cool. And that, and that's what's really cool about having the freedom as like an indie artist. Right. You don't have and especially, you know, getting to work with your dad, too. He gives you the freedom to just create, you know, outside of the box, which is kind of the best art. And it sounds like that's kind of your um your approach to film, too. Like, are your film influences kind of do they have parallels between the people you love in music or are there people you love for different reasons yeah yeah well also just going back really quickly about uh my dad and you know recording our stuff is uh it's it's kind of a nice relationship because we sometimes we push in different directions or pull in different directions where my dad wants to do something that's like sort of more um you know the way he would do it in sort of like analog and sort of um you know a certain sound and then we're kind of pushing in this more 
modern way. And I think it's what's good is like when it comes together, it's a mixture of both those things. And it, it is good for us to sort of be pushed in that direction that my dad sometimes does while we're also kind of pulling in our direction as well. So my dad is sort of like, you know, the George Martin yeah. <laughs> there in a way, <laughs> not to compare us to the Beatles in any way. But um, in that, like, he is really a songwriter in a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah. Um, okay. But um, sorry, your question about film. But, oh, yeah, let's, yeah. I mean, no, but I'm happy you said that, too, because it, it, it ties everything together. And our listeners will kind of hear that when they um, hear it tracks. But yeah, really quickly, like, who are some of your um, biggest influences in film? Um, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, Fellini is mm -hmm. just someone that at an earlier age that I was really um, inspired by. And especially that idea, like, bringing it back of like, you know, having these images and concepts and themes really dictate um, a storyline and have things be more interpretive and uh, have something mean, you know, mean something for Fellini, but also have that potentially be something that mean, you know, means something different for other people who see it. Mm -hmm. um, so he was a huge um, influence. Um, the Coen brothers were like an early on massive influence just because of how uh they're just i think the best like screenwriters um out there they just everything that they write is uh you know like we we're talking about earlier their voice carries through everything like even like you know comparing it to like alex g with music it's mm -hmm. their plot lines and their aesthetics really change throughout a lot of their films but um there's that coen brothers voice that carries through all of it um and just feels so real and the characters are so alive outside of um outside of the directors um which is yeah so that's almost like a whole different thing is the way that they write for their characters um are you know all the characters feel like they're their own people they're not just like an extension of the screenwriter or the director no like ego involved. exactly the idea yeah it's just being trans you know there's there's an idea that's like going through everybody and then it manifests in the film right totally yeah yeah like people you know the character development is like the characters are developing on their own it's not just the director you know making them do that it yeah. feels like these are real people that real personalities and, yeah well yeah and it's not like that's what you're doing with your you know your films too and so i can't wait to see what happens in the future yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um well we're gonna take everybody out to break really quickly and um then we'll come back in and kind of cap everything together uh we're gonna take you out to break um with phobia's song for ai or al uh, so <laughs> it's for AI, but it's not artificial intelligence. It's, uh, for, we donated all the proceeds from this, uh, EP that we made to anchored in the bar and restaurant in Brooklyn, um, cause they were going over some tough times during COVID. Okay. Um, cool. so that's for anchored in. Okay, cool. <laughs> yep. I'm glad I was like, is that an I? Or <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to bring you back in with my song someday that Jake played drums on too. So we'll be right back. Please enjoy. Hi, this is Peter Lewis and Moby Grape. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. Before the next great song plays, let's pause to consider all the people who work tirelessly to bring us the music we love. Music Cares is music's leading national charity that provides a safety net of support and crisis relief for the music community. Everyone from musicians to tour managers, sound engineers to designers can rely on Music Cares to provide emergency financial assistance and essential resources in times of need. Find out how you can help at musiccares.org. That's M-U-S-I-C-A-R-E-S dot org. Thank you. 
everybody. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest is filmmaker, film producer, director of photography, Jake DiNicola. And he's also a musician. And uh, you can find out more about Jake. Find him on IMDb at Jake DiNicola. Facebook, Jake DiNicola. Um, Instagram, look up Fovia, his band, at Fovia Band. And Jake's production company, at Animal Works on Instagram. Uh, Jake, um, so I just want to finish the show up and ask you if there was somebody in the film industry who you haven't met yet and you could work with and collaborate with, who would it be? Be an actor, director, producer, camera person? Yeah, um, I really think um, my, my, my favorite contemporary director who I would love to work with is Dennis Villeneuve, um, who's done, he did Dune, um, which yeah. is like probably his com- biggest commercial success, but... Um, he also made um, one of my favorite films of all time, Arrival, um, which I've seen again and again and again. And uh, he did Enemies, which is also another great film um, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think something that's like across the board with all of his films is the the way that he like blocks his actors and the way that the actors just are able, clearly able to be comfortable with um, you know sort of doing their thing. Um, that's like a gift to a cinematographer is a director that really knows how to block and really knows, um, you know, how to communicate with the cinematographer, like, you know, you know, where certain move is going to work. Um, so that's just like, I think he's up there for me just because I enjoy his films incredibly. And it, you can tell that he kind of gives the space to a cinematographer to, um, be able to do their best work. Um, totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it just, I mean, after having this conversation and getting to lo- know you a little better, you know, yeah. like from this perspective has been really cool because it just really sounds like that's kind of, you know, where you're on the way to and what you've been doing so far. Um, and thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your philosophies of film and sharing your music. And um, sadly, we're out of time. <laughs> but um, having so much fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. We're just getting started. <laughs> um, need another coffee, please. <laughs> Um, well, everybody, uh, you can um, please enjoy uh, Phobia's song, Cost Of. Uh, we're going to be playing the song in its entirety today. And um, why Cost Of? Why did you choose this for the featured song? You know, I think it's um, it's sort of a song that we we played it at every show. It was like a song that people responded to um, a lot. Um, we made a pretty crazy music video um, that I won't even say anything about. You should just go see Cost Of fovia on youtube okay it's out there um so um you know we we spent a lot of time working on that and that was great i directed it and shot it um alongside uh, my business partner hill steadman um and uh it was written actually by max our uh lead singer um it's very along the themes that we've been talking about with fellini it's very image driven but you know a lot to be interpreted so cool uh, but yeah that was just the one that we loved playing and um you know, had always had like a really great response to in the audience, which is what matters the most anyways. Yeah. Well, awesome. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Everybody, this has been Jake DiNicola on the Arvin Lewis Show. And please enjoy uh, the song Cost of by Fovia.
The Arwen Lewis Show is brought to you by OMAD Records, featuring artist Robert LaRoche. And Robert LaRoche's music is available on omadrecords.com, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, and streaming everywhere. Go visit omadrecords.com to find Robert LaRoche. The Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host and executive producer, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. And follow her on Instagram at Arwen Lewis. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.